0: morning, Morning. and welcome to Lakewood Bible Chapel. Um, I hope you've had a Merry Christmas celebrating uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ with family and friends. Uh, Please open your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119 and stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 16 this morning. How... Can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Uh, You may be seated. Um, Well, let's just jump right in. Take a look at the first point in your outline, the question. Psalm 119.9 begins with the question, How can a young man keep his way pure? Charles Spurgeon says the following regarding this question. Among all the questions which a young man asks, and there are many, let this be the first and chief. Wherewithal shall I cleanse my way? This is a question suggested by common sense and pressed home by daily occurrences, but it is not to be answered By unaided reason, nor when answered can the directions be carried out by unsupported human power. It is ours to ask the question, it is God's to give the answer and enable us to carry it out. So, why does it matter that a believer keep his or her way pure? This is something that I think is lost on a lot of Christianity today namely, the importance of righteous living let's spend a few moments this morning and take a look at what the Bible has to say about keeping our way pure. We are commanded to not let sin reign in our lives. Paul tells us in Romans, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and you are members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace here we clearly see Paul encouraging the church in Rome that because of their union with Christ in his death and resurrection that because in that union they have died to sin and been resurrected unto new life Therefore, we should not let sin reign in our bodies. Nor are we to obey the passions of our bodies, but instead we are to present the members of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. Here Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking to the saints in Rome and encouraging them to keep their way pure. We're even commanded to be holy just as god the father is holy in first peter we read as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy do you realize what is being commanded here peter is saying that as christians we are changed we no longer conform to the passions of our former ignorance, and what, we, and what are we to replace those former passions with? Holiness. And not just any old holiness, but we are to be holy just as the one who has called us is holy. And who calls us? Only God calls the elect to be his own. So then we are to be holy as God is holy. Here, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding the dispersed and persecuted saints to keep their way pure. We also need to understand that the key way that we as Christians demonstrate our love for Christ is through obeying his commands. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is reminding us of the importance of keeping our way pure. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It doesn't say that we are to walk in the works that Christ has prepared beforehand if we want to. Rather, it says that this is what we should do, walking in the works that Christ prepared beforehand, walking in obedience is that which characterizes the true Christian life. It is what a Christian should be doing. It is quite unfortunate that easy believism has taught a kind of salvation that is in word only and does not change the heart. Things like raising your hand to accept Christ or filling out a card to indicate a decision or even saying the sinner's prayer, if you do these things apart from a changed heart, it means nothing. Nothing. True salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from the works of the law. And yet James tells us that this same saving faith produces a certain kind of fruit in us. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Therefore, living our lives in word only is not enough to keep our way pure. Our hearts must be changed. Finally, John makes it clear that walking in the light is a hallmark of authentic Christianity. 1 John 1, to 5-7 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. First, we must understand, in reading 1 John, that this is actually written to Christians. Therefore, as Christians, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So are we we, we walking in darkness? But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As children of God, we should be where Jesus is, and this verse tells us that he is in the light. And so likewise, we should be in the light. Are we walking in the light? Now, 1 John also makes it clear that the doctrine of sinless perfection is unbiblical, We are told in 1 John that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So based on verses 5 to 7, if we say that we have fellowship with God, but our lives are characterized by walking in darkness, then we are the liars. But based on verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God the liar. It is bad enough that we become liars when we say that we have fellowship with With him when we don't. That's hypocrisy. But how much worse is it to say that we've not sinned and make God a liar? For to do so is to speak as though we are right and the God of the heavens who does all that he pleases is wrong. May it never be. So it is very clear then that sin is not eradicated from the body the moment we are saved. Let me be clear, sin is still a struggle in the Christian life. Just in case you doubt this, listen to how Paul speaks regarding his own struggle with sin. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Even Paul struggled with sin. But brothers and sisters, it is a struggle if you are not struggling with sin. If you are instead giving in to sin, if your sin is of no cause of concern to you, then I exhort you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because a key part of the Christian life is your fight against sin. We learn a lot from 1 John about the biblical understanding of what it means to keep our way pure. Namely, keeping our way pure means that we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light and... Keeping our way pure does not mean that we become perfect and never sin again in this life. Brothers and sisters, let me also try to encourage you here. Uh, This is pretty heavy stuff. (laughs) If you are struggling with doubt regarding your status before the Lord and yet you despise your sin, you hate it, you are fighting it with all that you have, rest in this knowledge that it is a battle for you. Fall at the feet of Christ, whose yoke is easy and burden is light, and in whom you will find rest for your soul. Fight the fight of sin, but don't beat yourself up in the battle and become your own worst enemy. Instead, turn to Christ and his mercy, peace, and help, and let him lead you to a place of being more satisfied in him than the sin that you are struggling with. To wrap up this first point in our outline, Let us remember that the Christian life is not characterized by sinless perfection, but because we have died with Christ to our sin and been raised with Christ unto the righteousness of eternal life, the way we live our lives really matters. Therefore, this question being asked by the psalmist really matters How can a young man keep his way pure? And by the way, this is not just a question for young men, but it is a question that the early, earlier you answer, the better. For if, as a young man, you learn and practice keeping away pure, you will avoid so much heartache and trouble as you mature in your faith. But no matter your age, this question is of utmost importance. The fact of the matter is, if we are completely honest with ourselves, we are all very experienced sinners. Every one of us. So I ask you to consider, how are you doing with keeping your way pure? Well, guess what? God does not command us to do something and then leave us to ourselves to obey Him. This morning, we will spend the rest of the time we have together examining the answer to this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? And I encourage you to pay close attention as this question and its answer change your life as a believer now let's move on to point number two in your outline the answer so what is the answer what are we to do to keep our way pure what does the bible tell us well we find the answer in the second half of verse nine which is by guarding it according to your word the answer brothers and sisters is the word of god The implication, then, is that this question is not to be answered by unaided reason. We cannot figure out how to keep our way pure by mere worldly wisdom. We must rely on a higher wisdom, the highest wisdom, God's wisdom. And where do we look to find God's wisdom? Do we look at the philosophies of men? What about the stars and their alignment in the seasons? What about politicians Or the government? What about your heart? What about your feelings? What about your thoughts? There are many things that people look to for wisdom. But the only place where we find the answers to the important questions of of our lives is the wisdom of God, given to us in his perfect, consistent, inspired word that we find in the Bible. There are two things that we should not miss in this answer given to us by the psalmist. First, our way must be guarded. A person's natural spiritual direction never leads to God unaided. Before we are saved, our default disposition is one of slavery to sin and enmity with God. Therefore, if you do not know the Lord, apart from the drawing of the Lord, you will remain in a state of total rebellion to Jesus Christ. For that is your default disposition. Paul tells us in Ephesians, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here we clearly see that a person prior to salvation is dead in their trespasses and sins, and dead men can't do anything but be dead. (laughs) Only God can awaken the dead and bring them unto new life. Whereas, if we are saved, then whether we realize it or not, we are in a spiritual battle of epic proportions. We are in a battle with our own flesh, with the world, and with the very real enemy, Satan. I must warn you then, if you are a believer, it is dangerous to assume that you can just drift through life without being on guard, alert, and prepared. One commentator has said, There is no standing still. The life of this world is not a lake, it is a river, and it is flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will go backward. Peter tells us that we should guard ourselves By being sober minded, he says, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Paul exhorts us in a similar manner when he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Christian, are you drifting in the river like a dead man going with the tide? Or are you fighting the tide, fighting for righteousness in your life and swimming against the pole of the world? Are you guarding your way? I exhort you to seriously consider this as it is of utmost importance. The second thing that we need to remember about guarding our way is that it is according to a particular standard. We must remember that this is not to be done by unaided reason. The question of how can you how can a young man keep his way pure is ours to ask, but it is God who gives the answer and enables us to carry it out. We cannot be left to ourselves to determine the best means of guarding our way. I encourage you guys if you haven't heard anything I, say, I I've said thus far this morning to listen now. Um, don't miss this point. The standard which we look to to understand how to guard our way, is God's word. Only God has the final authority on these matters. Therefore, it is his standard that we must look to. So how are we doing with regard to God's word? Are you amazed that God has given us his word so that we can read it? I mean truly amazed. This should blow your mind if you just think about it for a mere moment. God, the one true and living God, the God who used his words to speak roughly 200 billion galaxies into existence, and that was out of nothing. The God who is sovereign over the position and the movement of every molecule that has ever existed The God who has never been created and therefore has always existed from eternity past in the perfect unity of the Godhead. The God who knows everything. Nothing exists or is said or done or takes place apart from his knowing of it. The God who is omnipresent, which is a fancy word for being present everywhere and and at all times. The God for whom the radiance of the sun is a pale and dark comparison to his own glory and majesty. This awesome, glorious, good, and loving God has given us his word in this book, the Bible. Do you feel the weight of this, brothers and sisters? Do you realize what we have here in the words of this book? don't you want to know what it says? Given that our awesome and glorious God has spoken to us, it is heartbreaking to see how little we value His Word. Do you know that according to Lifeway Research, only roughly one-third of Americans who attend a Protestant church regularly say that they read the Bible every day? So this means that 68% that's 68% do not read their Bible regularly. They don't, they don't read their Bible every day. Also, and this doesn't get better, by the way, did you know that around a quarter of Americans who attend the Protestant church say that they read the Bible a few times a week? And a little more than a quarter say that they read their Bible from a few times a month to rarely or never at all. This tells me that there is something seriously wrong with our understanding of God. For if we truly understood the greatness of God, then we would be much more motivated to read His Word. This is quite sobering and is cause for us to examine ourselves. Therefore, I encourage you to think about how much time you spend reading your Bible. Do you read it daily? Husbands and fathers, do you spend time reading the Bible with your family? How are we doing on this individually as families and as a body? Okay, let's move on to the third point in our outline, fighting the fight of sin. Psalm 119, verses 10 to 11 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As John Owen has said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you, which is actually a really amazing commentary on Romans 8.13, which says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you are not actively killing sin, it will be actively killing you. And it is the psalmist's desire to keep his way pure. In doing this, he is doing everything that he can to avoid wandering from God's commandments and sinning against the Lord. He is doing everything he can to fight the fight of sin. We can learn a lot from the psalmist here in our own fight with sin. Here we see two ways the psalmist fights the fight of sin. First, the psalmist says, with my whole heart I seek you. And my question is, why does he expect seeking the Lord to keep him from wandering from the Lord's commands? I think the Bible has a number of things to say on this. Let's let's take a look look at a few of them. In Psalm 119, verse 2, we read, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So we can see immediately that those who seek the Lord with their whole heart and thus keep the Lord's commands are blessed. Jeremiah 29:13 says that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so here we learn that those who seek the Lord with their whole heart find the Lord. And finally, we should take note of Christ's command in Mark 12 when he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So we learn something about those who seek after God with their whole heart, namely that they are blessed, that they also actually find God, and finally Christ commands us to do so. This seems to me to be a strong foundation for abiding with the Lord. For if in obeying Christ's command to do this, and in your obedience you come to face to face with God in his word, because that's where we should be seeking the Lord, and thereby you are blessed by what he teaches you, will you then wander from him? I don't think so. Second, the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart. And my question here is, why does he expect this to prevent him from sinning against the Lord? One commentator says, memorizing scripture is not a discipline for its own sake. It is because the scripture is a treasure and will be needed before the day is done to help you escape a sinful attitude and live a life that glorifies God. Memorizing scripture is a powerful tool in fighting the fight of sin. So let me ask you, is there a particular sin that keeps coming back that you can't seem to shake? Here the psalmist gives us some instruction regarding how he prevents this from happening in his own life. He seeks the Lord with his whole heart, and he stores up God's word in his heart. And I encourage you to fight the fight of sin as the psalmist does, for the battle against sin is won in the heart and the mind that prefers Jesus Christ more than the sin that you are tempted by and knows the word in order to put off the temptation as Christ did when Satan tempted him in the desert. Now let's take a look at the fourth point in our outline, our dependence on the Lord. As we meditate on these words and think about our own struggle with sin, it is absolutely clear that we cannot do this on our own. We need help. Apart from Christ, we are completely unable to seek the Lord with our whole heart. This becomes even more obvious when we consider all of Christ's command from Mark 12. Not only are we to love the Lord Lord our God with all of our heart, but with all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Let me just ask, how are you doing at obeying this command of Christ's? How are you doing with seeking the Lord with all of your heart? How about with all of your soul? How about with all of your mind and all of your strength? I know that when I consider these things, I fall woefully inadequate at this each day. And I am certain that if you are honest with yourselves, you'd come to the same conclusion. So this is why the psalmist says in verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. We need the Lord in this. So what does the psalmist show us here in verse 12? Humility, worshipful humility. Before asking the Lord to teach him anything, he comes before the Lord in humility and says, blessed are you, O Lord. The first place we need to start if we are to successfully keep our way pure is humility and brokenness. In another psalm written by David, Psalm 51, we see this in verse 17, which says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If you are struggling in your daily walk and losing the battle, I encourage you to ask yourself, are you truly broken before the Lord? Are you approaching him in total humility? For it is only those with a humble heart that are willing to submit to what God's word says and do it. Only in humility can we be taught by the Lord through his word. As we move on to the fifth and final point, we will be looking at the last four verses of our text this morning and take them on one at a time. In these last four verses, the psalmist shows us the marks of a believer who seeks the Lord with their whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 13 says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. The psalmist was not shy to share the words of God verbally with those around him. These words began in the heart of the psalmist and have made their way out of his mouth so that they can be heard by those who are in his presence. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This verse also speaks to the great treasures that are found in the word of God. Once understood in the heart as much as they can be understood, the natural response is to declare them for others to hear and by the grace of God be heard with understanding. A person who knows that they are forgiven, who truly follows the Lord, who loves Jesus and is growing in their faith, they cannot but help speak of the things of God. Their conversation is full of the great truths of God. We see this in Psalm 51, when once David has begun to appeal to God, to cleanse him from his sin, he says in verses 12 and 13, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So, after God has purged David from his sin, and has taught David, after the joy of God's salvation is restored in his life, Only then he teaches the ways of the Lord to others with the hope that they too would repent and return to their God. David also says in Psalm 40, I delight in your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And so one of the marks of a person who seeks the Lord with their whole heart is their conversation. It is filled with the things of God coming from a delight in God. I encourage you to think about your own life. Is your conversation filled with and characterized by your own delight in God and what He has done for you? Look next at uh, verse 14 in our passage today, which says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Here we see the degree to which the psalmist delights in the testimonies of the Lord. He says, as much as in all riches. For the psalmist, the word of the Lord is worth as much, if not more to him, than all the riches that the world contains. I mean, can you imagine? Hmm. The way that we approach the word speaks to how much we value it. Take a minute and ask yourself, do you delight in his word? Do you place a high value On His Word? How is that reflected in the way that you approach the Word? What's going on in in, in your heart? Do you truly treasure the Word of the Lord? Then how does this impact your life, your schedule, your decisions, and your priorities? Another mark of a person who seeks the Lord with their whole heart is authentic delight. In the word of the Lord, such that it is valued above all worldly things and thus impacts the way that we live. Now let's take a look at the first part of verse 15, which says, I will meditate on your precepts. What does it mean to meditate on the Lord's precepts? And by the way, precepts is just another word for instructions. Also, let me just say that this word meditate in verse 15 is not speaking of the worldly kind of meditation that is often associated with things like Buddhism and the New Age where you strive to empty your mind of everything and get into this Zen kind of trance. Uh, That is demonic and should never be pursued by any believer. The meditation that is mentioned here is of a wholly different kind. This is not an emptying of the mind but a focusing of the heart through the mind on the precepts of the Lord. There are different ways that you can meditate on the Word of God. You can quickly read through it a few chapters a day and get the big picture, or you can slow down and spend a lot of time on a single verse, thinking and praying about its meaning, studying it and memorizing it. And both are important. Check this out. Martin Luther was passionate about saturating himself in the word of God. He wrote, he wrote this about his own Bible reading practices in 1533. He says, For a number of years, I have now annually read through the Bible twice. If the Bible were a large, mighty tree, and all its words were little branches, I have tapped at all the branches, eager to know what, there, what was there and what it had to offer. Twice. A year. Can you imagine? That's amazing. It is also important to realize that meditating on the word of the Lord has the effect of causing the things which you are meditating on regularly to resurface throughout the day. To meditate on the word in this biblical manner is another mark of a person who seeks the Lord with their whole heart. Now the second half of verse 15 says, "...and fix my eyes..." On your ways. Here we see the psalmist say that he fixes his eyes on the ways of the Lord. So what are the ways of the Lord? Well, first and foremost, we must remember that the Lord's ways are above ours. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And yet, the psalmist has fixed his eyes on the high and unreachable ways of the Lord. While we cannot understand the depths of the ways of the Lord, he has spoken to us in his word. And we are witnesses to the things that he has done in our lives and throughout history. Therefore, the God whose ways are unsearchable has told us things about himself, about ourselves. And about this world in his word that he fully intends for us not only to just know about, but to actually understand. The psalmist says that he fixes his eyes on these things about God revealed to him in the word of God. There is an attention that he is giving to the words, uh, to the ways of the Lord that is fixed, it's resolute, unwavering it's foundation building and soul securing thinking about this now i encourage you to consider where you where your eyes are fixed what are we gazing upon what are we focusing on in our day to day and we should ask ourselves is that which we are fixing our eyes on the ways of this world or the ways of the lord if you are truly seeking the Lord with your whole heart, your eyes will be fixed on his ways as he, reve- as he has revealed to us in his word. And you will be changed by them and you will worship him. And finally, the psalmist in verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. It is clearly a delight for the psalmist to think on these things. And then he says, I will not forget your word. Why is he so committed to remembering the word of the Lord? Well, I think it's because of everything that we have just seen. It is by the word of the Lord that his way is kept pure. It is by the word of the Lord that he comes to know the Lord as he seeks him with his whole heart. It is by the word of the Lord that he keeps himself from wandering from the commandments of the Lord. It is by the word of the Lord and the memorization thereof that he prevents himself from sinning against the Lord. It is by the word of the Lord that he is taught by the Lord. It is by the word of the Lord and the declaration thereof that he teaches those around him that which he himself has been taught by the Lord. It is by the word of the Lord and his delight thereof that he demonstrates how much he values that which he teaches it is by the word of the Lord and his meditation thereof that he discovers the deep things of the Lord and it is by the word of the Lord and his fixation on the unknowable ways of the Lord that he comes to a place of worshipful delight before the Lord the word of the Lord is of supreme value To the psalmist. And therefore, with such riches and blessing, how can he forget his word? How can we neglect such a great gift and place a higher value on other things in this world? The word of the Lord is used by God to open up our eyes to see the Lord so that we fall on our knees before the Lord. Saturating ourselves in the word of the Lord, as the psalmist has demonstrated for us, is the means to the chief end of man, which is, to glo- which is to love God and enjoy him forever. For the unbeliever that might be with us today, I would encourage you, if you do not know Christ, to consider him. For he is the word, and his word has a lot to say to you. Consider your sin before a holy and righteous God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Consider that Christ came and died for the sin of his saints. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Consider that he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, which proves that he conquered death, the final consequence of sin. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4 says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. Consider that one day you will be called before the righteous judge of the universe and asked to give an account for your sin. What will you say when asked, how did you keep your way pure? Will you say, I did my best? I lived a pretty good life, or I placed my trust in the perfect life of Christ, sacrificed on the cross for my sin, and I appeal to His perfect righteousness. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, only one of these answers will be sufficient before the Heavenly Father. For His standard is one of perfection. And only Christ Jesus meets that standard and makes it available to us as a free gift Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But there is a huge but here. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unbeliever, my question for you this morning is, will you trust Jesus for your salvation? Above all else, I urge you to do so this morning, right now. For we do not know what the next minute is, hour or day will hold i encourage you to deal with your sin before a holy god this morning so that you can give the right answer on that day of judgment for the believers that are with us i would encourage you to consider how your life reflects the amount of value you place on god's word for if you ultimately love jesus then you will place the highest value on what he has to say Have you considered how to keep your way pure? How are things going with fighting sin in your life? Who is teaching you? What does your life proclaim to those around you? What things do you do which demonstrate the value that you place on God's word? Does your heart have affections for the things of God that accord with the greatness of His glory. Consider these questions, and consider then ways that you can improve your spiritual discipline of reading God's Word, for no matter how we are doing in these things, we, we can always improve, myself included. Practically speaking, are you reading God's Word on a regular, if not daily basis? Are you setting aside time to spend with the Lord each day to read, pray, pray, and memorize his word. Is this a priority in your life? Or is it not? And if not, why? I would encourage you to evaluate these things, and if you are not setting aside time each day to spend with the Lord in his word, please make this your highest priority. And one one last thing I'd like to say before we close. Here at Lakewood Bible Chapel... We are starting a two-year reading plan through the New Testament, so this is a perfect opportunity if you're struggling with reading to get get on board. The idea is that we will all be reading the same book uh, from the New Testament as a body, but doing it on our own in our homes and and personally. Um, We'll also be basing the Lord's Supper services on themes from the book of that month, which is going to be great because it's going to tie everything together with this reading plan. You will have the opportunity, if you want to, to read the book of the month as many times as possible. And this is a really great thing to try and do. Um, The more you read the same passage of Scripture over and over and over, the more you become familiarized with it. And the more it settles into your heart. So I really, really encourage you guys to join us in the reading plan for this up and coming year. Now I invite Noel and uh, the music team back up to lead us in musical worship as I close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see you so that we would pursue you in your word. Lord, that it would settle in our hearts to know you more and that we would do so in your word. Help us in these things. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace lord that we can rest on your grace when we fail to commit ourselves to know you more through your word and i just pray that you would help us to get better at it lord in jesus name amen